Hi, this is Greg Voison, inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth podcast, episode number 903, with author Steve Giblin, about his new book entitled Walking in Mud and Navy SEALs 10 Rules for Surviving the New Normal. This podcast, number 903, is brought to you by Jeff Tuff and Stephen Goldbach, authors of a new book entitled Provoke, How Leaders Shape the Future by Overcoming Fatal Human Flaws. In this interview with Jeff and Stephen, we discuss behavioral patterns and trends and recognizes the phase change that happens when uncertainty resolves from being a question of if to being a matter of when. We also talk about the five provoke quintets discussed in this book as the great models of provocation. These are envision, position, drive, adapt, and activate. To learn more about Jeff and Stephen and their book, Provoke, How Leaders Shape the Future by Overcoming Fatal Human Flaws, please visit their website at www.deloitte.com. That's www.deloitte.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Stephen Giblin about his new book entitled, Walking in Mud and Navy SEALs 10 Rules for Surviving the New Normal. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Steve, um, I say this every time that I'm on one of these shows, and I thank the listeners. Uh, these listeners come from around the world. Uh, we have them from China. We have them from Russia. We've got them from Dubai. We've got them from everywhere. And we thank you because without you guys and your support, um, we couldn't do this show. So thank you very much. And as we close this year out, uh, because I'm going to take a little sabbatical for a couple of weeks, actually, Steve is the last interview for the year. So uh, (laughs) for 2021, which was a crazy year, we're going to talk about that a little bit. And we're talking with Steve Giblin, and the book is Walking in Mud, uh, and Navy SEALs, 10 Rules for Surviving the New Normal. So that's ought to be a really good one, Steve, because we're all searching for the new normal. The question is whether or not there is one or not. Uh, you know, so I think people are looking for that. Good day to you. How are you doing in uh, New York? What's the weather like? Looks oh, good. Actually, so it's uh, supposed to be almost 50 degrees here. Uh, just just a little bit below. Uh, we've had uh, unseasonably warm temperatures. Yesterday was 62, but everything's great. It's sunny and beautiful out. Oh, good. Gonna, tomorrow, we're supposed to get four to six inches of snow. Well, let's see what happens. It's going to have to actually change quite a bit between 50 and get to 32 so it can snow. Well, this and is a fast. Yeah. Well, this is a fascinating book, and I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you. Uh, Born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Navy SEAL, uh, Steve joined the Navy in 1981 at the age of 17 for a four-year hitch that turned into a 28-year odyssey. Uh, His tenure included over two dozen overseas deployments as an uh, operator for contingencies and named operations within the U.S. Special Forces, uh, Special Operations Forces, uh, namely Navy Special Warfare and Navy Special uh, warfare uh, development groups. He rose to the level of chief, assault team chief, and command master chief within the team's 
and went on to work with Navy Special Warfare Command for nine more years as a contractor and civil servant before retiring in 2018. And as we said, he lives in upstate New York uh, with his wife, Barbara. So Simon & Schuster book, for all of those, we're going to have a link uh, to this book on our blog uh, to Amazon where you can go and get the book. Uh, Steve, do you have a special website for the book or is it just the one Simon & Schuster has up there? Uh, so I've, I've got my I've got a website of my own uh, frogmanleadership.com okay. and it's the same same hyperlink that goes right to Simon and Schuster. Okay. So we'll put a link to frogmanleadership.com as well for all of you who are out there and are listening and want to learn more about Steve and the book uh, and actually maybe make a connection. Now Steve, let's kind of start this off. You know, in the introduction of this book, let's talk, it's these 10 essential qualities. Uh, That is the core essence of the book um, of an underwater demolition man. You speak about that, um, which you used as a basis for the book and was also used as the subtitle uh, on the book. Can you briefly speak with the listeners about, and if you were to just name them, the 10 essential qualities, because we're going to get into some specifics on those qualities as we go through. A lot of people do their books that way. They say, here's the 10 qualities, and then every chapter is a quality. Um, So uh, we would love to have you just maybe name them off and talk about it briefly and tell the people why you believe uh, these qualities are so important, and especially during this time of COVID. Yeah, so the... 10 essential qualities of an underwater demolition man, basically a frog man, the precursor to the Navy SEALs, uh, the man that wrote it. It's just a one page document that he hung around the team area. And it was his expectations of the officers and enlisted men within the underwater demolition team 21. Uh, this was during the Korea War era. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Francis R. Kane, uh, he was a commanding officer. He was uh, a a well-known World War II frogman, one of the first. Uh, so the 10 essential qualities that he listed are loyalty, sincerity, responsibility, example, forethought, fairness, seamanship, and common sense. Um, you know, some of them, I mean, you know, the common sense, that one, you know, it seems to be pretty simple. Uh, but, you know, but not always. Not it sounds simple, but not always. <laughs> that's right. Well, it's yeah, you know, and uh, what what would seem to be you know, in that old adage of common sense isn't so common anymore, right? Right. right. Um, and you know, and, and this is one of the reasons why I felt that I needed to say something. I wanted to say something, and um, I had discussed this with John Land. He had written a chapter about me in another book, and so that was kind of the the birth of this book was the discussion of this and what was going on in, uh, you know, 2020 with uh, the pandemic, we were starting to jump hip deep into this. And, uh, you know, and he just, you know, he was like, Hey, you know what? I think this is a great idea. Let's do it. Um, There's a lot of lessons to be learned by what the list that you just gave off. And, and as we go through this interview, we're going to be talking a little more specifically about some of those uh, qualities. And you state that as a SEAL, you traveled all over the world to train. 
um, with allies and uh, fight American enemies, never imagining that the greatest enemy and the greatest challenge our country ever faced would end up being something you couldn't see. And and you say this as a microbe, a virus, that's COVID-19, which has affected the world. Now, we're right in the middle of Omicron, uh, as most of my listeners know. I just talked to a gentleman in, um, yesterday uh, in England, and it's spreading pretty quickly. Fortunately, our CDC is now saying uh, not as severe as the Delta variant and possibly not as many people will pass away from it. What advice can you give our listeners uh, specifically on the for frontliners? Because there's so many frontliners in these hospitals. I don't know what it's like in New York. I know in California, as of yesterday, um, we went back to full masks. So everywhere right. you go, now we're back to masking. When you go in a store, you go in a restaurant, or you go in everywhere. But there's a lot of pissed off people, especially the people sure. that are going going in. And so this has caused a tremendous amount of uh, divisiveness uh, amongst the people and so on. What advice would you give the frontline workers and even those people that are pissed off about it? <laughs> you know, I would say take a step back and look at the bigger picture. What do we really have going on here? We've got over 800,000 people have died from coronavirus uh, in the United States alone. Uh, in 2022, from that one virus, we're going to surpass 1 million. Um, more than likely, that'll be February timeframe. Uh, this is something that's seriously out there. And we want to not only protect ourselves, but protect other people. We don't want to bring it home. Uh, you know, if somebody's, you know, asymptomatic, you know, they might bring it home because they didn't mask someplace or they didn't, you know, disinfect their hands or something. And then they bring it home and they get a spouse or one of their children sick. And especially if they are unvaccinated, because maybe that household just doesn't believe in getting vaccinated for this. Uh, and now somebody passes away or gets really seriously ill and then becomes a long hauler. Uh, you know, and I think maybe the maybe the government hasn't really, you know, kind of put it out there as to, hey, the, these are really the reasons these this is what we want to avoid. And it is a matter of national security. It's self-preservation for the nation. Um, my wife and I, we have absolutely no problem in putting on a mask before we go inside any place. And we've eaten out maybe half a dozen times in the last year and a half. And it was, we felt like we were really being risky, you know, uh, by doing that. Uh, so, you know, but we're also we're vaccinated and we've had our booster here in New York. The mask mandate has gone out and somehow you know, they're also relying on people to be honest about their, you know, being vaccinated or not. Yeah, well, we we understand that the pandemic and the requirements around the pandemic, um, that that most of the governmental agencies are attempting to administrate and get compliance on is a challenging thing at best. Uh, challenging for our leaders and challenging for the individuals that are trying to comply with it as well. Um, we get that. You know, in your section about leadership, you state that the hard times call for leaders. In fact, hard times can help create leaders. Um, and we've seen 
some leaders that have fallen by the wayside, even in New York recently. Uh, not Chris Cuomo, but his brother. <laughs> okay, the governor. Uh, yeah, former, the governor. former governor. Yeah, former governor, and now his his brother has been kicked off of CNN as a result yeah. of supporting his brother. But finding the right former, former anchor, former right. anchor. That's right. And I I liked him a lot. You know, I liked him as a as a uh, newscaster. Sure. But finding the right leader or becoming one yourself makes for a keen strategy to get out of the mud, you say, because this book is like, you know, uh, walking in the mud. Um, How do you advise leaders to become more courageous in demonstrating um, their and enhancing their role in the new normal? I think one of the leaders that came out as a glowing example um, was the governor of Kentucky the other day with the tornado. You know, here you saw a guy that stepped up. The president went down there, surveyed the site, saw the damage, know how long it's going to take, uh, but really seemed to be a very effective communicator. And I think that's one of the qualities of a good leader. Comment? Sure. Sure. Um, You know, sincerity. Uh, That's one of the, you know, that's one of the 10 essential qualities. And, And being sincere in what you do, not just you know, not just putting on a front for uh, what you think that people want to hear, the people that you're leading. It is no kidding, being sincere in what you do every day. Um, always trying to be the best version of yourself. Sometimes, hey, sometimes all of us, you know, we, we all have our days and we all fall short. But getting caught up into situations that uh, that just remove that entirely, I mean, Everything that Governor Cuomo did up until this current situation that he is in, where he had to step down from office, um, you know, that, that really it diminished it not only diminished, it removed everything that he did up until that point. And not everybody agreed with what he did, but I believe that he was sincere in, you know, in the leadership that he was providing to the state, uh, trying to be, you know, on that on that front line and supporting frontline workers for this pandemic. Yeah, I think he was too. Um, unfortunately, fell the wayside of many uh, leaders. It's, you know, it's a test of power. Uh, we always say it's a test of power and money. Um, I think that we we had a former president where it was a test of power and money. Um, and, and, and not a very good example, in my humble opinion, and my listeners know, my thoughts on this as a strong leader. Uh, as a matter of fact, in many cases, a, a bit cowardly, um, you know, to call out a former POW, of, of which we all know, who spent years in, uh, as a POW and say that he was really wasn't. I mean, you know, what world are you living in? How, how can sure. you, you know... <laughs> You know, where where are you coming from? And in your section about fairness, you say that if we're learning anything from the coronavirus, it's that life is anything but fair and that has brought a whole new meaning to the word injustice. Um, can you share the bigger picture of with the listeners about what you're referring to as injustice? Uh, well, you know, what we think, you know, somebody that's people that have gone out, you know, so we've had people that have had the breakthroughs with, you know, they're vaccinated and they still got COVID. 
and they, you know, they did everything that they were supposed to do, right? Then they end up in the ICU and very few, but there are still that percentage that, you know, that small percentage that had died from it. They had underlying conditions or maybe they were just more susceptible to a virus that took their life. That is very unfair. It's very unfortunate. Um, it's just like that, uh, you know, the person that gets involved in an, a traffic accident and dies, they observed all the rules, all the traffic rules and everything else. But it was somebody else that had run into them and killed them. Um, you know, that is unfair. That is, you know, those are one of those things, one of those scenarios in life that happen that that is that's unfair and it's unfortunate. Um, you know, but we need to be resilient and be able to push through that and survive it. Yeah. And, and on that note, because you and I can't answer this question, uh, it's unanswerable. Uh, it's worth thought and dialogue. Um, but we don't know people's karmic experience. We don't know what was actually supposed to happen. Uh, you know, we know the Buddha said there's pain and then there's the end of pain because a lot of the pain we bring on ourselves. And he wasn't referring to death. He was, uh, we know about finitude. We're, we're all going to have our final day. And finitude is something that every one of us that's listening is at some point going to have to face. Um, and whether it's a religious viewpoint or a spiritual viewpoint, and I want to distinguish between the two, you have to have a faith in something greater than yourself. Um, if you're, ever, in my humble opinion, again, estimation, to be able to look at something uh, like injustice, uh, because it helps you explain it away. Whether it's right or it's wrong, it helps you to explain it. It helps you to understand it. It helps you to understand why maybe something like that occurred. Um, but we do realize that it is going to happen. And um, you you basically call... Uh, you mentioned that the word grit is defined as perseverance and passion for long-term goals or resilience in the face of failure, but also having deep commitments that you remain loyal to over many years. What advice do you have for the listeners and given aspiring seamen about deep commitments and loyalty? Because this is one where I, like you, um, I sit here and I say, well, do I get attached uh, to it or not? And what I mean by that is people have made commitments to me and broken them. And that's the worst thing that anyone can do to me. Um, because I have a hard time forgiving when somebody gives me their word. Now, I understand that I'm the one that's attached and getting hurt by the fact that somebody did that to me uh, and not the other person, because the other person could care less. Um, so what would you talk about commitments and loyalty? Commitments and loyalty. And, you know, we've all, I, I, I think nobody is perfect. We've all dropped the ball on, you know, on those things in the past. Um, you know, my first, my first perspective on this is make peace with your past. You know, uh, 
making peace with your past is forgiving people without ever getting an apology from them. You know, you've got to, you know, be able to, to make peace with that. And in all honesty, we're all only in control of what is in our sphere, how we behave, how we project ourselves, our own personal actions. And we know what right looks like. So, you know, loyalty and sincerity, you know, all these things, they, you know, that's, that's what makes that commitment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that loyalty and the loyalty begins with, you know, family, those interpersonal skills that you have within the family unit. And I think it's imperative upon, you know, whether it's a single parent or, you know, dual parent household, you know, creating that loyalty within a family unit and imprinting on on our kids. Uh, and I, I speak about imprinting all the time to people that it's. Believe it or not, we've got we've got this huge impact on these children that we are raising and to include teachers and, uh, you know, that spend a vast majority of their day with these kids. And that's that's where it begins. That's where that loyalty begins. And your word is your bond. So you tell somebody you're going to do something or, you know, whether it be being someplace at noon, you know, or, you know, you're going to do something for them. You do it. Don't overcommit you know, to something that you, you know, you say, yes, I'm going to do it, but you know that you can't. Right. Right. Be well, able to say, no, I can't. And, and that's important. And I think as a leader, whether it's a leader in a company, it's a leader in the military, it's a leader at home, it's a leader in the school, um, all of these various areas where there are leaders, whether you're a principal, a teacher, a mother, a father, an employer, um, the most important thing is your word. So what Steve just said is important. Um, watch before you commit. Uh, and if you're going to commit something, uh, follow through with it, or at least explain why you can't, so that there's an understanding of what actually maybe occurred as a result of it. Because the worst thing you can do is elevate one's inspiration or whatever as a result of some commitment you made. It's like an, in the child's case, hey, we're going to Disneyland, right? And then you never make it to Disneyland. So that became a dream forgotten, right? And a disappointment. And kids remember that, you know? Adults remember that, not just kids either. So you tell an interesting story about Pete and how he made it to Bud's. Uh, can you share the story with the listeners? I think it was an interesting one. Uh, sure. It was in the book, and uh, I, I think it sets a, a, a different place for us to go. He is one of the strongest personalities I've ever met in my life. Um, I was very fortunate to have been a part of his life and have him in my life. He was my team leader when I first met him uh, when I was at a development group. And right off the bat, I was impressed with this guy. He was older than most. Um, But when you get to development group, you're pretty much, you've got older, seasoned, saltier seals. Pete brought a different element with him. Um, He was the son of a Navy chief. He was applied for and was accepted to Virginia Military Institute in the 1960s. He spent all four years, uh, you know, just grinding it out. And it's one of the, one of the tougher universities that are in the country as far as a military institute and 
all, all of his summers, he did, uh, you know, more training and stayed there at VMI, did their, you know, the things that they go and do during the summers. He spent very little time at home. When he graduated VMI, he was commissioned as a Marine Corps officer, deployed to Vietnam, and was actually one of Oliver North's platoon commanders uh, for him over in, over in Vietnam. Pete came home, uh, finished out his time in the Marine Corps, separated from the Marine Corps, decided he would give civilian life and not, you know, give it a shot. And he missed the military. He missed the structure. He missed, um, you know, that, you know, that group of people, that, that social circle of military people that really only military people can truly understand. He decided to come back in, but instead of going into the Marine Corps, he joined the Navy. And he went into uh, being a salvage diving officer, which is no easy task in itself. He then decided, you know what? I want to do something harder. I want to do something. This really isn't my purpose. He wanted to be a SEAL. He kept on applying for BUDS and uh, was pestering his his officer detailer, who was a captain, uh, several pay grades above him, uh, you know, just to... You know, he was physically fit. He was submitting all of his all of his proper paperwork and everything else. His appraisals, his you know evaluation marks were well above his peers. So any command that Pete was at, they did not want to let him go. This guy was he was a sailor, sailor. You know, an officer's officer, if you will. Uh, finally, on a bet, this captain was talking to his admiral, the the head personnel detailer. Uh, complaining about this, this Navy lieutenant, you know, this lieutenant that kept on bugging him to go to Bud's. And the Admiral said, well, what's the problem? Why won't you let him go? Well, I think he's too old. I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll make it. And uh, he says, well, is he old enough to get in? He said, yeah, by a year. Well, why don't we let him in? Why don't we let him go? Well, I just don't think he's going to make it. He's too old. Well, who says, right? Right. So the Admiral made the captain a hundred dollar bet. It, you know, let Pete go, let him go to Bud's, and I'll make you a hundred dollar bet that he makes it. Well, the captain lost a hundred bucks. Pete made it through training, so <laughs> Pete got into the teams and he thrived. Uh, this was his place. This was his purpose. Uh, when he showed up to my assault team, he had to go through green team, another six month selection course, basically getting up to the tier one level. And basically, is all that is, is just to learn the standard operating procedures of the command. But it's also very physically demanding. And at the time, Pete was older than, you know, he was over 40 years old. So if you could imagine 40 years old going through an assessment and selection program that's as demanding as, you know, any other higher level, you know, it's like trying out for the SWAT team or trying to be a hotshot firefighter at 40 years old. Yeah, it's hard and not you know, very probably less than 1% make it. Right. Pete made it, got into my assault team and was just an incredible leader. After one year as an element leader, a troop, troop commander, he was elevated to team leader and he just thrived. This was it. This was, you know, his nirvana, if you will. We're out West in Arizona on a jump trip, uh, parachuting, uh, military free fall for lack of anything better, or skydiving, military version. We were all under canopy coming into the drop zone, and the dust devil just pretty much singled. It looked like it looked as though this dust devil singled out Pete. 
and it collapsed his parachute. He fell to the ground with his combat equipment. Everybody kind of, you know, we, everybody landed around him. People rushed out because it was, it was a pretty high drop onto the ground and he was struggling to get up. He thought he was struggling to get up just because of all of his equipment and being entangled in his parachute. Uh, he had a compound fracture and the bone was sticking out of the top of his boot. Long story longer, he's trying to recover. They send him back home from the hospital in Tucson. And uh, where, that was the nearest uh, level one hospital. They sent him home. He tries to heal and recover. His leg ends up getting gangrene. He's trying to fight off the infection and it's just not working. Doctors make the decision to amputate his leg uh, below the knee. Uh, so at that point, he's at another crossroads in his career. There are no amputees within the SEAL teams, let alone probably the Navy. Right. And he's just kind of beside himself. He wants to stay in. This is his purpose. And a friend of his, a fellow VMI rat who's working for the Commandant of the Marine Corps, he hears the story through what they call the, they refer to as the rat line. And uh, he tells the Commandant of the Marine Corps, four-star general. And the general goes and talks to the four-star admiral in charge of the Navy and says, hey, I hear you're going to you know, let this SEAL officer go. I want him back in the Marine Corps. He's a former Marine. I can use him. Well, that makes the, the Navy admiral take a you know, second guess what's happening. And they tell Pete that he's allowed to stay under certain conditions. And that is he has to pass the physical fitness training uh, assessment, you know, the annual assessment that we do every year. So that's now it's game on. This is Pete's challenge with a prosthetic. He has to pass this, the, the annual seal fitness test and that's swim, run, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, uh, you know, the like. He does it. He does it with flying colors. And, uh, you know, he went on to, to have a great career as a leader. And anybody that Pete has ever been in touch with as a leader, they just, I don't, I've never met anybody that's had a bad word against him. Really. Phenomenal leader. He retired as a captain, uh, retired at the top of his game. Unfortunately, he was commanding officer of Extortion 17, uh, you know, at that command when Extortion 17 went down. And that was the greatest loss of life uh, within the Naval Special Warfare community. Not really a great capstone for a man's career. Well, the interesting thing is, is that what you learned from Pete, perseverance, persistence, determination, uh, sincere high caliber person, just all over, all over the place, a shining example for everybody else in your group, your battalion, whatever you want to refer to it as to, to learn from somebody who had that much determination. Um, I know I'm going to have an upcoming interview with a guy by the name of Nims, who's climbed the highest 14 peaks in the world in six months and six days. And he, he says, death is not an option. He said, the only way the mountain wins is if you give up. And that's the same thing with Pete. The only way anybody wins is if you give up. And the minute you give up, that's what happens. And I think that's a great analogy is perseverance. Uh, continue on. You fall down. You get up. You start over. You go again. You go again. You go again. Now, in, in sincerity, you state that the character 
is what defines most of us, all of us in life. What advice do you have for helping people build their character and get out of bad reputation? Mindfulness and gratitude are the two words that first come to mind for me when it comes to sincerity. Um, Gratitude in being grateful for the circumstances that you're in and the things that you're learning on a day-to-day basis. The circumstances you're in may not be the best, but you, you know, you're figuring it out. You're, you're doing your best to get through it. And the mindfulness part is, you know, being mindful, being mindful of what it is you're doing and knowing what right looks like and being able to navigate through the chaos that's in your life. You know, we control 50% of what happens in our life, if not a little bit more. Our sphere that we can control is all we can control. Everything else is up to the other people on the outside of that sphere. Mm -hmm. If you're sincere in everything you do, you'll find that that bubble actually increases and other people step into it and they support you. So with, you know, and again, you know, being being grateful for those people in your life that are now helping you out and controlling what's in that sphere. I'd I'd agree. And uh, I used to teach a course on purpose. And I remember telling people, is your life by accident or is it on purpose? Really define your purpose in your life. You know, Um, when you talk about sincerity uh, and you talk about mindfulness and gratitude, um, yes, you know, we have free will. And as you said, Maybe that free will is 50%. Maybe it's more. I don't know what the number is. What I do know for certain is certain things are in your control, but more is out of your control than is in your control. So it's how you deal with the things that are out of your control that really define the character of the individual. That's right. Um, it's how, how do you react to those things that come across? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You um know, I was talking to somebody the other day about, um, you know, they asked me, oh, do you think that the world has gotten more chaotic and people have gotten more careless and, uh, you know, about each other? And, you know, we talked about people in traffic, you know, that person that cut you off. How are you going to react to that person that cut you off? Take a step back and think, gee, was that directed at me? Did I do something to make them mad? Or are they just being mindless and careless. And they, you know, there was nothing against me. So am I going to stick my arm out the window and flip them off and lay on the horn? Or am I just going to go ahead and back off, create that distance between us and just go about my day? Yeah. And again, that's about someone being attached to an outcome. Uh, And that outcome is the anger, the frustration they wanted, or you can say, I'm not attached to that. Or maybe that person is having a bad day. But if you're shifting your perspective about what it is, and I get that we all get angry in traffic. It, it's just part of it. It's, it's life. Um, one of the frustrating things, especially if you're running behind, um, you know, and those kind of things happen. You know, in your section about example, you speak about the spouses and the children of veterans as the forgotten warrior of all the wars and state uh, that you see much the same thing in the new normal. Uh, What makes spouses of a war clan exceptional during war and in the new normal? 
Spouses are that special breed that they they're the co-signers on this blank check that the serviceman has signed. Um, you know, their their name is right underneath his because they are allowing or his or hers. It doesn't you know, I, I don't mean to uh, attach a gender to that. The you know, the service member that's going overseas, they don't know if if or when they're going to come back. Right. They could be assigned to the most benign unit that is, you know, far back behind the front lines. And yeah, they're okay. You know, he's a, you know, supply person or she's a, she's an admin person. And then a mortar or a suicide bomber takes them out. Um, You know, those, those things have happened. They do happen. And the spouse and the children that are left behind, it's very much, you know, they, they now have to pick up those broken pieces and they have to put a life back together without that loved one coming home. And it's not easy, not by any chance, you know, not by any stretch of the imagination. It's the very same thing with what's going on with this COVID. You know, we're saying goodbye to people at the front door of the emergency room. We're not able to go in. Right. You know, you, you watch them go walking in to, you know, and get handed over to, you know, a nurse or an attendant that then tells you you can't go any further. And that's it. Some for some people, that's the last they ever saw of their loved one. That's like dropping off your service member spouse at the airfield or saying goodbye to them on the pier as the ship you know, sails away. Um, so it's, you know, those those things are kind of intertwined. You know, as far as the emotions go and the, you know, that how that person now has to live um, if that per, if the other person never comes home. You know, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good analogy, Steve. I mean, it is definitely a, a fact. Um, I, I think some of the hospitals now are a little bit more lenient with that. Uh, but at the peak of the Delta thing, it was, you know, leave them off. You're not coming back in. Um, yeah. And even the exception that the hospital that my brother was in used, uh, made for us, well, I thought was exceptional. I mean, they let us in for like a couple of hours to be with him. Um, You know, obviously masked, checked everything. And this was pre-vaccination. So it was really quite unusual. Um, but But the reality is most people aren't getting that luxury. Uh, and I and I recognize that, and I and I love that analogy you make. Now you end the the chapter of the book, the last chapter, with prescriptions for healing. Um, and if you were to give the listeners three prescriptions that they could apply to their everyday life, um, what would they be? If you were to just pick three out of the book, um, what what are the ones that you think might help them the most as they uh, forge forward on their journey, as you say. So, and it's, I'm, it, it's, I'm not going to take from the list of the, the 10 essential qualities because these all, they all play into this. What I'm going to give you is uh, the first one I already talked about was making peace with your past. Um, it, so it doesn't disturb your future. And, you know, some of these, some of these pearls that I've got were given to me by my parents um, who thankfully my, my father and my stepmother are still alive. 
Um, what other people think of you, that's none of your business. You know, you can't worry about what other people think of you. But if you're going out and doing the right thing every day, you know, and, and setting that example and thinking about even those 10 essential qualities, you know, the sincerity, the fairness and forethought and things like that, you are going to be a better person. And if you go out every day to try to be a better version of yourself every day, fewer people are going to think ill of you. Um, don't compare your life to others. Uh, comparison is the thief of joy. You know, you may not have what the person across the road or people on the other side of town have. What you do have is what your circumstances are, and it's up to you to make them better. Mm-hmm. Um, and time heals almost everything. You just have to give it time. Well, those are great. Uh, bits of advice from the book and great bits of advice from you, Steve, to the listeners. And uh, what I want to tell my listeners is go pick up a copy of this book. We'll have a link walking in mud, uh, Steve Giblin and John land um, a Navy seals, 10 rules for surviving the new normal. Um, We've been speaking with Steve about some of it this morning, but there's absolutely more in here that you can take away. Uh, Steve, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and talking to my listeners about your new book, about your personal journeys, about Pete and what you learned from Pete, uh, obviously made a huge impact in your life. Um, and I just want to say namaste. Thank you. Have a happy holiday uh, and enjoy uh, you know, the rest of your journey, whatever it may bring for you. Thank you, Greg, and thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.